Nico Smith and Lonely Generation on RTHK Radio 3. Well, I think it's probably time I just chatted to my guest rather than um, trying to find a way to show you them and just embrace the uh, the medium of broadcasting that we're currently on now. So I am super, super happy. Hopefully during our chat, we'll find a way to, to share our faces with you. But for now, um, I'm really excited to be joined on the line by Christoph Zajak-Denek. Christoph, thank you so much for coming on the 123 Show today. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having me, Cruz. Oh, I hope he's there. Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, let me give it a wiggle. Hello? Christoph, are you on the line? Hello. I there am. you are. You are. Hello. Fantastic. Okay. So, Christoph, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful that we're trying to make this work when you were in a completely different time zone. Uh, Christoph Zajak, De- Zajak Denek. Am I saying that right? Yep. You, you got it. Absolutely. So you are an actor, a drummer, a surfer, and a recent podcast uh, hero, I would say. I would say a podcast hero um, who is currently living in L.A. Yes, exactly. That is um, that is me in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Um, and I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you um, a little bit about, uh, firstly, about living and working in L.A., because for some of us in cities around the world, um, which aren't America, uh, sometimes it's really hard for us to imagine what it must be like to be in Tinseltown. Is it really as glamorous as it seems? Um, it's in some ways, yes. I've been to some of the, the richest parties I've ever I never could have imagined in my life. I mean, parties that have cost three hundred thousand U.S. dollars. No, and then really. I've also seen, um, you know, just homeless people everywhere in Hollywood, and, and it's it's the dichotomy is so big because you have you have people living in mansions and living extravagant lifestyles, and their actors or their celebrities or their investors. Um, and then you have people who are, you know, standing at the exit ramps of freeways and begging for change or a bottle of water. And it's it, it's just such a such a unique place. And people are so different here. So, yes, um, <laughs> it, it. So it's like any big city. We've got the 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 haves and the have nots on the most right. emphasized, but, amplified scale. But in, in L.A., I feel like the extremes are so much more extreme and there are more people here. Sure. Yeah. But why did you so why did you head there? Because you're not originally from L.A. You're from the Midwest, which is I'm from the Midwest, Midwest yeah, right? Um, um, well, first of all, the Midwest has winter. Um, and so I got tired of winter in Detroit, Michigan. Um, and. I wanted to live somewhere that was warm and nice and also had opportunities to work in entertainment. I played in a rock and roll band. I played drums for six years in a touring band and I figured LA was the place to go if I wanted to continue to play music. So I came here after I left my band. That's amazing. But then you didn't go to LA to play music in the end. You haven't ended up playing as much music as you have acting. Right. I haven't. No, I, I've done more acting work in L.A. than I have music. Yeah. Acting kind of just sort of happened in a weird way. 
Which is the complete opposite of everyone else's story, which is I bust tables for 20 years before someone, you know, looked my way and you kind of fell into it really quickly, which is amazing. It's it's crazy. Um, Yeah, a friend of a friend called me up and said, I have uh, a contact for you and they probably would want to take you on as, as talent for their agency. And the next day I was signed up with my first talent agent. And that was a month after being in Los Angeles. So it just, it just happened. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And then the thing, the kinds of things you've done. And I find this because when I first, I, I've, I, I stumbled across to you and your illustrious career by actually finding your podcast <laughs> first, which we're going to chat about a bit later, which is, um, yep. really, really cool. Um, but, um, but when you Google your name, a lot of very violent images come up from a particularly uh, powerful character that you played in the new Twins Twin Peaks season series series. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how yeah. does that even how does it even happen? Twin Peaks. I was, I it's like been described as the best television show ever, and then they did this third series a couple of years ago, and I mean. You you didn't even you weren't even aiming to be an actor, and here you have this incredibly iconic role in this very well loved, respected um, art piece. Uh, how did that happen? Um, my my, I'll tell you this. My motto after moving to Los Angeles is "You never know," and that's my life every single day. <laughs> um, you know, you just kind of hustle and you figure things out and and the crazy thing about working out or or getting the job to work on twin peaks is i booked that on my own my agent did not really really wow i submitted for the role and casting called me directly for it um which blows everybody's mind that i tell and i mean i was a I was a David Lynch fan for, you know, for years before I booked Twin Peaks. And when I actually, I kind of, uh, I snuck it out of one of the, the people who called me because it was a little bit of a rush casting for my character. Mm. And um, I had a little freak out in my car when I found out that I was working with David Lynch and on Twin Peaks um, because, I mean... I don't know of a better and more unique person to work with in Los Angeles or in Hollywood. So um, it's just, it's, it's a dream come true. And the stuff that I got to do on the show is mind blowing. Like you said, I play a very violent care. I have some very, I have some of the most violent scenes in the entire 18 episode show. Um, which is very hard. I know it's acting, and I know when you're acting, you're not being your real self. But considering how amicable and pleasant you are as an individual, it is quite <laughs> shocking to see. But I mean, yeah. that's just a testament that you're an incredibly talented actor, and it feels like you have been really recognized for that as well. Would you say that that's that you know that people have really thought of the quality of your performance um, when they've talked about those scenes? Yeah, I'm. Well, I've definitely got. Um... You're, you don't seem as mean of a person as you play in the show. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, because I, I was I was lucky enough to go to the Twin Peaks Festival a couple of years ago 
in Washington state and they, they treated me so nicely and um, it, it was such an incredible experience. And the, the fans are so cool and I, you can't, um, you know, you can't top that when, when people love the show and they love you for being in the show, it's, it's just amazing. And, um, and then on top of that, the, the cast is so amicable and, and it's one big family, which is, which is so cool. I, I, I can't even, I can kind of re- imagine that feeling. I mean, I would like to think, I don't know if I speak for everyone here at the station, that we feel like a family. There's something that comes together when people, then yeah. <laughs> people create, um, create media together. There definitely is that bonding feeling. Um, but you have this amazing role. You've got this really cool acting career, but it is, um, is it something, have you always been that confident and proud in yourself and who you are? Um, no, I, I haven't always been that confident, you know, the stuff I did on Twin Peaks, it, I had to dig in order to, um, I don't know, do we give away what my, I mean, I, I'm a, I play a murderer and have some pretty, I think, and, I think you can be more, you, you pay an assassin who kills people with an ice pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and they show very graphic parts and I, I didn't know exactly that that's what I was going to do. So it's, it's kind of this, this thing where you just have to say, well, I'm on this show and I have to play the role and we're going to do whatever, you know, the director wants because you trust, you trust his judgment and you trust his vision. And that's, um, that's what you do and that's how you go along it's it's kind of it's kind of remarkable that the amount of trust that you have to have but with david lynch it's kind of easy because i've like i said i've loved his stuff for so long and um to be a part of it is is such a such a dream and what did you what did you think would be um we haven't really talked about um what's like quite i guess distinctive a big part of who you are as an actor and as a person is that the fact that you 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 have a form of dwarfism you have the same form of dwarfism as my daughter actually yeah. um yeah so yep. um so i mean has that been something that's uh, especially in la has that been something that shaped what you maybe perceived as what might be available to you as an actor and has that perception changed at all once you actually got there yes exactly um my size is essentially what got me into the business because my my first big role was um, Universal Pictures called me to stand in uh, for a CGI alien character. Uh, the movie is called Paul, and the lead character oh, wow. is a CGI alien character, and they wanted a stand-in for this this character that you know didn't exist on set, but needed to be embodied in some way. And Paul's gait was essentially the same as my gait. And so when, when there was movement or there was running, um, it made sense that I was as physical, um, uh, you know, as, as Paul or could embody those, those movements. So um, that was, that was really cool. And it, and it was, 
I, I loved being able to facilitate the the production in that way because I could I could I didn't do motion capture for Paul, but on set I was working with the actors and I was interacting with them, and that was my first big movie experience. And on location in Santa Fe, New Mexico, for three months for a first job, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, I was hanging out with Kristen Wiig and Simon Pegg and uh, uh, Nick Frost. Wow. And Jason wow. Bateman and Joe Latrullo. Oh, Joe my Latrullo. gosh. And what are those people um, like um, in person? Are they as funny and... They're so, they're so sweet and they're hilarious. They were so <laughs> nice to me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And honestly, I thought I was going to get fired because they didn't. I was there for three months and for the first two weeks, they very sporadically used me. And I, I told a buddy of mine that I, a new friend of mine that I had made on the, on the film. And I said, I'm going to get fired because nobody, <laughs> like they're not going to use me. And he said, no, they're going to keep you like you're, you're valuable in ways that you don't know. You can't see it, but you know, you're going to be here. And sure enough, I was there from beginning to end. And the first day, I couldn't believe it because I rode in the van with Joe Latrulio. Um, and first of all, I had $7 in my bank account. Wow. Los Angeles. To take that wow. Um, I, I actually had to borrow money from my dad to, to, uh, pay for my rent my apartment rental in santa fe and i was like dad i'm gonna get paid in two weeks i'll pay you some money back um and uh and it was such a it was like la was just hard and you know i was down to my last and this job came through and then you know the next day i'm literally on set with joe latrulio and simon Pegg and nick frost came up to me to my face and shook my hand and said, thank you so much for coming out and working with us. It's such a pleasure to have you. And I just about fell over and, you know, and just because they were so sweet and they were so nice. And, you know, what I, what I've learned since then is not all productions are like that. And I was on a really, really good one. And I, I have, I made friends on that show that I, they're some of my best friends to this day. And, you know, we still reminisce about how wonderful and awesome that that job was. And, you know, I came to Los Angeles to be a musician. And when I was on set uh, and on Paul, I was I was thinking, you know what, once this job is over and I made some money, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, just practice my butt off and I'm going to, you know, go back to auditioning for bands. And then about halfway through the production, I got smart and I said, I should see if they will help me become union, help me become SAG on this movie because they would have that opportunity. And they were so kind that they actually gave me a line on the show. Um, it didn't end up making it into uh, the final, but I was able to become SAG uh, because they, they gave me a line and I mean, it, that that job changed my life. It was it was incredible. God, that's amazing. So there's still there's still like hoops you have to jump through, right? So like you said, like so SAG being Screen Actors Guild, we're not very down with the lingo. <laughs> so, you're, oh, yes. is that right? So, so yes. So, so it's it it's a 
Screen Actors Guild is essentially that allows you to work union jobs um, in LA and the union jobs. Um, if it's a movie and you have a principal role, you are able to get residuals. If it's a commercial, you know, you get residual, you get uh, pay for the usage of the, the show after you have taped. So you, you receive, you know, a session fee for working that day. And then every time it gets played, it goes through like some number crunching system. And then you get, spat out a check a couple times a year after that for whatever however amount i mean sometimes it's a hundred bucks sometimes it's uh 32 cents so wow i had no idea i had no idea that's how it worked that's amazing and it sounds like it's very it might sound quite dry and boring but i find that really fascinating you never you never hear about that sort of thing yeah yeah and i mean i think it's only in the u.s because i know in um in other countries, they don't have the residual system, um, but in the U.S. for Screen Actors Guild union jobs, that's how it goes. And so, I mean, you've got you've had all these different acting jobs that have happened. Have there been have have there been any like now COVID's happened? Has that yes. how fast did that change things? How fast did it change that energy of being really excited about cool things happening? And is there anything happening anymore? Um, there really isn't anything happening because of COVID. Um, I think some productions are starting to pick up, but stuff is so sparse and people have to be so careful because, you know, obviously you don't want to get sick. So, um, it's, it's really tough. I mean, working on a production, you're in close proximity to at least 10 people for an entire day. And it's more, if it's a bigger production, it's, a hundred people and they're all buzzing around like bees and talking to one another and communicating and helping each other out. So, you know, you're really in close proximity and it's, I would think it's pretty easy to contract a virus, you know? Yeah. It makes sense. Um, actually. Yeah. Now, now you put it that way. It does make sense yeah, it, in that, in that sort of environment. So it's, it's, it's pretty tough um, at the moment. And was that something that, um, did you find that, I've thought a lot about this, do you think there'll be a whole load of um, movies that come come out where everyone's wearing masks now? Because I watch films now and it just seems so bizarre to me, like looking at people walking into their homes and not washing their hands before they eat or something. Right. Do you think that's going to shape the, the industry in that way as well? I think it will in some way. I mean, I I actually auditioned for a film that, um, was based in a COVID world uh, just recently. So, I mean, scripts are being written wow. about, about this, this scenario, um, you know, as we speak. I mean, when when you have a bunch of creatives and they have to be home, um, they're definitely going to write about their existence. And, you know, I, I think I think films will come out that that encapsulate this this time. And, you know, I think there are, there are things, too, where it's they won't even touch on it. I think I think there's enough out there that people people will definitely. I mean, how long has it been now? Almost eight months. So it's a it's a huge yeah. part of our lives and it's it's going to make it into media and entertainment. 
Yeah, I but think I, I really think it definitely will. Um, I was going to say, Christoph, we we're nearly at the news, but we haven't even gotten to talk about your podcast. I think I'm going to keep you on the line and come back and chat to you again once we've uh, once we've gone to the news, and hopefully in that time we can also try and get the Facebook Live working as well, which would be awesome. So please don't go away. Stay tuned. RTHK Radio Three and ain't giving up on you. Although I really think I'm going to give up on technology, but we <laughs> for now uh, we're still chatting on the line to Christoph Zajac Denick, who we were talking to before the news as well. Um, Christoph is an actor, surfer and podcaster and drummer. I can't forget that. That's an important part of who you are. Uh, Christoph, thank yeah. you. Welcome back again. Hello, hello. Thanks Hi. Um, and so, of course, um, we were chatting before about, um, we were chatting a little bit before about your acting career in Hollywood. And all of us are like, you're a big time Hollywood actor. So I feel a bit <laughs> giggly because <laughs> I have no idea what that life is like. Although not to no the the radio, the Radio 3 lifestyle is is very demanding. I won't lie. Um, but no, um, uh, but of course, I started in college with that. I, I totally understand. Yeah, you, yeah. See, humble beginnings. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I would, I would really, really love to talk about your podcast because we were chatting about how in LA there's not a lot of work happening. Um, obviously, with COVID, it's difficult. Um, working on film sets is a close proximity exercise, um, and so it's obviously in safety's interest not to be doing a lot of projects at the moment. But as you said, you can't leave creative people to stew in their own juices. So a lot of people have been. Kind coming up with things on the side and uh, your podcast, which is called I'm Kind of a Big Deal. Um, and I highly recommend it because it's not only fascinating, it's authentic and insightful and compassionate and uplifting and many, many other words that I, I won't um, I won't go into a big thesaurus thing here. Um, please tell us how that came about, what it's about and how it's been going. Yes. Um, well, the, the podcast I'm Kind of a Big Deal came about essentially because my life has been unlike any other. <laughs> um, it's it. I've just had so many crazy experiences and, and uh, a friend of mine and I were, were talking one day and um, you know, Jenny, who is the, the co-host on uh, the first uh, handful of episodes. Um, she's, she said, you know, your life has been so crazy. You should talk about it and you should talk about dwarfism as well, because that's, you know, who you are and essentially a big reason why you've been in so many unique situations. And it took me a long time because, um, you know, I'm self-conscious about myself and I've always been self-conscious about my size and my dwarfism and, um, you know, there were points in my life where I didn't want to speak to or, you know, get along with or even meet other little people. And, um, you know, as you go on in life and you meet other people and you gain new experiences, things change. And and finally, I got up the courage, you know, with her, with Jenny's help to um, just start talking about my experience and my life. And I I'm not, I've never really been the person that just wants to constantly have his own spotlight. And so I know all of these other little people in Hollywood and I know that their lives are incredible too. And as soon as I started talking about my life and the, the things that I experienced, all of my friends with dwarfism showed support and they, 
told me stories that fell in line with my stories and I never knew that. And it was just so empowering to hear other people's experiences and how similar they were to mine and how we dealt with the same challenges and how we didn't know how to deal with the same challenges, but we, you know, made it up as we went. And that's, I've, I've come to so many conclusions in talking to people with dwarfism and one of them is that dwarfism is a strange and unique talent that you just individually have to create on your own and that's really what it is in a sense because you are the best at living your life but nobody really understands dwarfism unless you have dwarfism um because you have to adapt to everything and you have your shorter stature. So your, your shorter stature could be, you know, maybe six inches shorter than the average height people around you, or it could be almost two feet shorter than the people around you. And that's a big deal. And it's a big difference. And there are a number of complications that come with dwarfism. And so on my show, I just want to, open the door wide open and just talk about all of it. And the interesting thing is that the more I've talked to people, the more they want to share. And my, my episodes, the format I've been doing is I'll do two or three episodes with each guest. And when I end up doing an interview with them, uh, with my guests, we end up talking for four to six hours and Gosh. so I have, I have we don't have that kind of, of time today but i wish we did <laughs> i have a lot of audio to edit um which is sometimes why my show is uh yeah it'll sometimes episodes will will be delayed a little bit but um you know there's a lot to say and there's a lot to talk about and it's a unique it's a unique perspective and it's a unique existence and um i just my whole goal is to have exposure because if you have exposure then you can get some sort of a conversation started and i think that's the first step into to understanding and there's something you do something interesting at the beginning of every interview so your podcast i'm kind of a big deal which can be found to listen to wherever you get your fresh podcasts um is uh you you with a lot of the time with your guests i've noticed you you start by asking them their height yep and and why yeah. is that so I ask my guests how tall they are because my show is, is audio only at the moment. Um, and I want people to, I want people to hear the voice and hear the people who are speaking and know that, you know, they're just a person. They're just another person. But I tell, I ask their height at the beginning because I want people, if they're curious enough to get out a measuring stick and, you know, put it against the wall or put it against their own body and say, wow, that's what a three foot tall person, that's how tall a three foot tall person is. Um, and I think that just, that just opens your eyes. Um, you know, if you're in your own home and you're listening or you're, you know, you're in your own private space and you're not flustered by seeing somebody who's of short stature out in the wild you know you can, you can kind of take in that height in your own time and process it 
and then also listen to their voice and their experience and realize that, you know, not only is their voice just like yours, but their, um, you know, their appearance is very different. Absolutely. And so, I mean, what I think is really interesting listening to your podcast, especially for an audience in Hong Kong, and I am a Hong Kong fan. I was born here. I love it here. Um, I do think sometimes we struggle a little bit with accepting difference in others and ourselves um, as a culture. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to listen to um, the community that is that is grown from you making these connections from your life in LA, from being sought after for something that other people may consider being something that you shouldn't be so proud of, even though it's it's part of who you are. Um, and I yeah. think what's interesting in listening to some of your interviews that you have on the podcast is that, yes, there's those really crazy, difficult, intense, dramatic stories. And there's also just a lot of, yes, this kind of stuff happens to everyone kind of stuff as well. And I yeah. think there's a really good um, balance between those things. Um, I think I remember watching an actress called Karuna Stamel say once um, when she goes shopping, she's like, I'm not shopping dwarfishly. I'm just shopping. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And I think that that's 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 really interesting. I mean, is that um, have you have you had a good response to the podcast so far? I've had um, an amazing response. In fact, my first interview uh, after doing the podcast is on a radio station in Hong Kong. And I, I consider that a huge success. So um, I am on my way. Let you, <laughs> just, just so you know. You're moving up, um, really. I mean, it's it's not like you've worked with David Lynch. You live in LA. You've, you've <laughs> fashioned yourself an amazing acting career. But really, the height of your success is appearing on the 123 show on RTHK Radio 3. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, honestly... Yes, that is that is it. When, you know, I think two weeks ago, I heard from, uh, you know, one of the the moms that is in the group that you're a part of that, that, you know, how you found me and connected with me. And when I received the message that this other individual has a, a child with a baby, essentially, with cartilage hair hypoplasia which is extremely rare and you know i i say it on every chance i get dwarfism is a mixed bag and everybody has uh so many different experiences and complications and challenges or they don't have any they don't have need for any surgeries or anything like that you know um when i first uh, received the mess the, the first message i i was ecstatic because i thought this is why i made it this yes it's for other little people who are out there and it's for you know the the mass the public so that they can understand more about dwarfism but if there's families out there or parents that need some sort of help or some sort of um camaraderie or just you know knowing that there are other people out there because i know my mom and dad were kind of thrown off the cliff when i was born and it's scary and it's it's kind of nuts that there really isn't that much support for people out there and you know it's it's sad and so if i can be a part of that um uh, i'm i'm succeeding and so being being on this show is it's I was telling somebody else I would rather do this 
than be on a TV show. That's the wrong this, answer. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's so true though because this is this is this is real and it actually impacts people in a in a in a beneficial way. At least I think so. You know, um, and that's that's so much cooler. Like there's entertainment out there. There's comedians that are incredible and there's great writers. But, um, you know, I am I am unique and I have a unique voice and a lot of other people uh, don't necessarily have it and uh, or have this perspective, you know, and to bring some understanding is I think that's so cool. No, it is fantastic, and I think it's um it, there's an it's an interesting dynamic for us because Hollywood does have a trickle down effect, right? You know, when things mm-hmm. are when things are shown on the silver screen, um, even though Hong Kong has an enormous movie industry, actually, it's second yeah. after Bollywood. It's huge, um, but um not right now, obviously, but usually, um, that you know when right. things are shown that big and that powerfully and you know in that kind of arena it trickles down and people people see it in themselves and their neighbors and their communities and it doesn't have the same shock factor like you said it just becomes part of the human condition to see difference and i think in hong kong it's um it's really uh, something that i i wish we saw more of embracing differences and diversity in our community and we're getting there but um so yeah so the work that people do in places like hollywood i mean it seems silly but the work people do on a television show or you know and to have um characters and actors of uh different um with disabilities of different ethnicities of all these different different sexual orientations, all of these things, they do have a, a trickle-down effect, right? So it does make a huge impact. And um, the work you've been doing on your podcast has been really cool. I've been really enjoying listening to it. Anyone who's just tuning in now, we're talking to Christoph Sajak Denek in LA. Um, he's up in the middle of the night to chat to us because we've had some technical <laughs> difficulties. Um, and we're talking about his podcast, which is called I'm Kind of a Big Deal, and it's available wherever you get your freshly baked podcasts. And um, it's, yeah, and it's it's all about uh, your experiences and others' experiences of uh, living with dwarfism and how that impacts your life and sometimes how it doesn't impact your life, which I think is also really important. Um, how has the podcast influenced you? And to finish up our interview for today, what do you think you'll do next? Um, the podcast has made me so much more confident in who I am. And it's proven to me that this voice is important and it needs to get out there and it needs to be heard and continue to be heard. Um, and what I'm doing next, um, I'm actually shooting a documentary about myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that, I think that's peak self-confidence really, isn't it? <laughs> which, which, which is crazy to me. A, a, a producer friend of mine, um, you know, learned about the podcast and he knows that I surf. And so we're producing a, a mini documentary on me and it's going to be, you know, a little person surfing and talking about diversity and how, you know, in the water, it's, it, it's kind of an equalizer of sorts, but it also is a is a scenario in which I have to work really really hard, and a lot of times more than the other surfers that are that I'm surfing with, um, and so that's one thing that um, that's one thing that I'm really excited about, and we've been working on this week, and um, 
so we can yeah, we can expect I, that to be out sometime in the next few months. Should be exciting. <laughs> All right, sure, sure. At some point, at some point. But for now, for now, fantastic. Um, but for now, um, if you'd like to hear more from Christoph, and um, I would highly recommend his podcast, I'm Kind of a Big Deal, um, which is awesome. It talks all about himself and his friends and people he knows, all with dwarfism and the amazing lives that people have and the power of being different and in diverse communities. Christoph, thank you so much for your time today. I apologize for the technical difficulties, but I think we got there in the end. Um, and you're always welcome back on the 123 show anytime. So, thank you so we'll much chat for to you soon. This was amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much. And so, that was Christoph Zajak Denek. Um, and we are now going to go to a song because we've done a lot of talking. So this is Galantis and Holy Water. <laughs> 